morning. I greet you in Jesus' name. The one who conquered death and has risen again. Appreciated the devotional this morning, the Sunday school lesson. And it, I'm going to build on it. How many have experienced a storm last night? Raise your hand. Physically a storm. I'm not talking about an emotional storm or a spiritual storm or anything. I'm talking about a rainstorm, a thunderstorm. It's wet down here, so I know everybody south of here must have had a storm. How many were awake enough this morning to recognize and see the sunrise? Okay. That's a contrast. As I was reflecting on the resurrection, storms can be uneasy, uh, nerve-wracking. Um, they're not very comforting. I was, we were on the edge. Of, we didn't have a storm. Sean wanted to have a campfire, and, we, and I told him, I think the wood's going to be too wet. But we tried anyway, and it did not happen. But we sat out there and we tried. But the whole time as we were sitting out there, I could see this line of storms, and the clouds were just churning, and we could see the rain sheets. And, of course, lightning and thunder it wasn't that far away. Um, there was a storm. This morning, there was a sunrise. It was perfectly calm. Hardly a cloud in the sky. You could see some clouds from the far east, but perfectly. Birds were singing. Beautiful. Does the resurrection affect you? When you reflect on the resurrection, what do you think about? Does your mind go to Christ dying on the cross for your and my sins? Do you think about the hope that we have and the fact that Christ conquered death? Does it give you energy to live for Christ? Easter is a time to celebrate because death was conquered. Sadly to say, it has nothing to do with Easter bunnies or candy eggs. I will say I like the discounts after today. But that is not my focus. That is what the world has to offer. But let's give some earnest reflection and meditation upon the reason why we celebrate Easter. Turn with me for a portion of Scripture this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we think about, does the resurrection affect... How does the resurrection affect you? I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15 beginning at verse 1 through verse 31. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received now, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of 
Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me, also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet, meet to be called meant to be called the apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. And I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether, I, whether it were I or they, so we preached, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead... How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, is so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruit, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and, all, and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he said, but when he saith, all things are put under him, it is manifested that he is except that he is ex accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall they do, which are baptized? For the dead, if the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand ye in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. There's a few things I want to pull out of this scripture. Paul's making a case here about the resurrection there in verse 12, that there is some people that are going around saying that there is no resurrection. If that is the case, their message is in vain. It's hopeless. Why do you do it? Those who died are also going to perish. And those that have died did perish. Somewhere in my studies, I tried to find it again, but I couldn't. I remember reading of someone... Uh, that mentioned that if this was a scheme 
truly, we talked about in the, in the Sunday school, the disciples taking and stealing the body of Jesus. If this is, this would be one of the biggest uh, schemes of of the human race that has ever happened to believe a story like this. But we know it's true. And right in this scripture, this passage, First Corinthians here, it's it's brought out. Um, Look at verse 8 and verse 9. It talks about Paul being an apostle and he was the last one. And we know how that story was. He was on the road to Damascus and Jesus appeared to him. So, that was after the fact. Um, Another one, verse 20, he builds on, he says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And then Paul builds on that. Verse 21, because man, sin came into the world. And man also brought the resurrection. Crucifying Jesus. Verse 22, Adam brought sin into the world, but Christ brought life into the world. How does the resurrection affect you? We need to look at this more than just a historical narrative. We can't let it just be a story. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is making the statement that he is crucified with Christ. What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? No one has ever been crucified and has been able to live and explain what happened other than Christ himself. When you are dead, there is nothing here in this world, on this earth, that will appeal to you any longer. When you are dead, you are dead. I could flash all kinds of money in front of your face. You would not respond. Because I would be convinced you were dead. You wouldn't care. I could give you a key to the most expensive and most favorite car that you would ever want. Would you care? You're dead. You died. The life is out of you. It is gone. I had the opportunity this past week of speaking with my neighbor. He mentioned that he has a boy that's going to school to be a pathologist assistant. And his dad was talking with him, wondering why in the world would you want to have a job like that? And they were going back and forth. And uh, his boy responded to him and said, at least his customers will never talk back to him. And his dad said, if they did talk back to him, he would probably clear out of that building faster than you could imagine. 
So when you're dead, you're dead. Paul speaks of dying with Christ. But wait, who's living? Sounds like Paul and walks like Paul. Looks like Paul. But is it Paul? It's Christ living in him. Paul had all his old desires, his personal plans, his personal agendas, dead in the grave. He put the old man there. So, use that example of dying, a dead person, there's no life. Take that old man, your, the desires, if you want to live in Christ, you've got to die to that. There at the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it mentions that I die daily. Philippians 1.21 For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There is great gain in dying to self and recognizing that when you were saved, you were crucified with Christ. And as you live each day of your life, you need to be mindful that you still live in the flesh and have to die. Just like Paul said, I die daily. Do we leave that old man in the grave? Christ loved us enough to die for us. Do we love him enough to accept the death of our old man and live in that reckoning? Romans 6.11 Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul was very ecstatic that he was dead to self and alive in Christ, and therefore it was as if he was crucified with Christ. Paul had a desire to live a Christ-filled life. Do you and I have that same desire to live a Christ-filled life? Do we crave after? Do we, do we desire? Do we hunger after? Do we, do we uh, thirst after it? Philippians 3.10 That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering be made conformable unto his death. Paul had a desire to know Christ more than just on a casual acquaintance. Sometimes we meet people and we may know them. We may know them by their name, maybe a little bit about them. But give it time as you rub shoulders, work with them, um, get yourself in their area you'll find more out about them friendships grow and become stronger and uh, you may find out even more you might find out their favorite food or whatever you may even get a glimpse into the corner of their heart that maybe doesn't get shared much that's the kind of relationship that Paul wants to have with Jesus and that's the kind of relationship we want to have you have a connection there's that bonding Paul wants to know all that he can about Jesus and he wants to walk in the power of his resurrection speaking of that power 
That's where we get the word dynamite. And we were talking about that in the Sunday school a little bit this morning. Can you imagine with me for a moment Jesus' body laying in that tomb and the power of or the power surge that probably came into that tomb when it had to reverse all those dying cells and decaying cells and taking them past making them good as new to glorify that same power could have pulverized that stone that was in front of that grave I mean it could have shattered it it could have shot it out miles hundreds of miles but no it just rolled away that's what you call controlled power can you imagine Jesus walking out of the tomb calmly he had just conquered death Do you and I want that same power? Turn with me to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 1, read to verse 11. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life is Christ Jesus, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his only Son in the likeness of the sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now... If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Are we so full of Christ? that we radiate out and people can feel that heat coming out of us? Is your relationship with Christ so close and intimate that you want to share that to others and you want to share in His suffering? When you know someone and are willing to suffer with them, that is when you are a true friend. I'm told that war vets have a camaraderie that may bond closer than a blood relative. And you may ask, why is that? That is because 
they were in something that was probably very struggling, very terrifying. And who was their closest friend at that time? We're in a warfare. We're in a, a spiritual warfare. Are we drawn closer together to our brothers and sisters? Why then do we struggle with attitudes toward our brother? Do we elevate ourselves, look down on others, maybe even stab them in the back? Is that helping? There's a code of honor in the army that if a soldier falls, the others around them dare not leave. They need to help him. They may need to carry him for miles. They may even need to sacrifice their life for him. Do we do that for our brothers in Christ? When someone falls, someone gets hurt, do we surround them? Do we help them sacrifice our life? Do we really want to get to know the heart and soul of Christ? Do you want to sob with Him in, in the Garden of Gethsemane? Are you willing to let them scourge you as you stand for truth? Or do you suffer enough when you crawl out of bed to face your day? I don't want to sound unsympathetic here, but sometimes I think we think we may have it bad. I challenge, and this is a challenge to myself, look around. There's others that don't have it, or may have it worse. Wednesday night we were looking at First Peter, and we were contemplating the idea of refugees. You don't have to look in the news very far, and, and you can read all, all uh, the news you want about refugees fleeing certain countries. You think you have it bad? Are you running for your life? Do you know where your next meal is coming from? If you want success, take your eyes off yourself and look for the opportunities to help others. There's a story and I'm probably most of you have heard this story before. It's usually a story that is told around Christmas time because it is a story that the setting is at Christmas time. It's about a story of a <coughs> cobblestone shoemaker that wanted to see Jesus. I'll just read it. It was the day before Christmas Eve. The cobbler, Martin, had decorated his humble shop in hopes that the Lord Jesus would visit him. The night he dreamed that the next day on Christmas Eve, the Lord would, in fact, visit him. He got up early the next morning to get everything ready. He cleaned every corner because he wanted everything to be beautiful for Jesus' visit. He waited all morning, 
But all that happened was that an old man approached him, asking to be able to rest for a while. Martin saw that the old man's shoes were much worn. After offering him some hot coffee to drink, he gave him a new pair of shoes. Thanks so much, said the old man, as he happily went on his way. These are the best shoes I ever had in my whole life. It was noon, and Martin was expecting Jesus to visit him. All that had happened was that a woman in worn clothes came by with a baby in her arm. Martin, the cobbler, felt very sorry for her and gave her a cup of hot coffee and some coins. He even offered her his blanket to wrap the baby because it was very cold outside. The Lord bless you, my good man, said the woman with tears in her eyes as she left the shop. It was late afternoon and the Lord Jesus had not come to visit the cobbler. Martin looked back and forth down the street, but he did not see Jesus. He just saw a boy standing on a corner crying. The child was lost and Martin felt a little upset because he had to leave the shop to help the boy find the way to his house. Perhaps the Lord Jesus come to my shoe shop when I'm gone, Martin thought, a little worried. But he felt he had to help the child. Returning to his shop, he was sure the Lord had passed by. He imagined what if would have been like at the arrival of Jesus. Martin would have opened the door wide and invited him in. He would have served him coffee and bread with cheese. He would have kissed his hands, his washed, washed his feet. Then he would have sat down to talk with him. Suddenly Martin heard a voice whisper in his ear, Martin, Martin, don't you know me? It was the old man looking at him from the corner, and with a smile he vanished like a cloud. It's me, the voice repeated, and from the darkness came the woman with the baby, and she also vanished in the shadows. It's me, Martin, he again heard the voice saying, and he saw the boy who had been lost smiling at him. He also disappeared. Then Martin realized that Jesus had visited him three times that day. I was the old man with worn shoes. I was a woman carrying the baby in her arms. I was a lost child who was crying. Martin realized that what we do in, lo in love for other people, we do it for Jesus. That night he went to bed very happy to have had Jesus visit him through the people who came to his door. For the Martin, the cobbler, that was the best Christmas. Come, come you who are blessed, be of my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I was hungry and he gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and he gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and he invited me in. I needed clothes and he clothed me. I was sick and he looked after me. I was in prison and he came and visited me. Why did Jesus say something like that? Because to serve others is how we serve him. Jesus may not visit you in person, but to help the needy is like doing it to him. Paul also wanted to die like Christ. Though Paul was beheaded and not crucified, did he get his wish? Both deaths, both deaths were because of their message and their life. Both were done in public, humiliating, and both were able to share their last word. Death must come before resurrection.
Are you dead to the old man? Resurrection Day is a, is a day about victory over death and hell. It's a day to celebrate our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. It is much more. It is our example of selflessness, sacrifice, and service. There's a poem I want to read. Titled, Who Put You There? My Lord, who put you there? Nailed between the earth and the air. Who caused your blood to flow so free? Upon the ground from that man from that man-made tree. Upon your head is a thorny crown. Why do you not plead to be let down? Lord, answer me. I really care. Tell me, Lord, who put you there? Now I know why you did not fight. My eyes now see thy holy light. O Son of God, thy blood did spill to pay in full sin's costly bill. The cross is a road that you have paved so a sinner might be saved. My God and Savior, I finally see who put you there was really me. Today is a good day to reckon ourselves dead and to seek to walk in the power of his resurrection. Are you willing to put the old man into the grave and to live a life of selfless sacrifice and service for others? Are you willing to let the resurrection affect you?